1: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, here is your host, Stormy Bonantoni on v the sports betting network.
3: Hey, everybody. Welcome in to a Thursday edition of the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM alongside Michael Lombardi out in Jersey. Stormy Bonantoni holding it down at our v studio at Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Got a jam-packed show today, Michael, full of NFL and NBA, but my Vegas Golden Knights. Got a chance for the sweep tonight. I'm excited.
4: There you go. Yeah. And I mean, look, the Florida Panthers are already in. I mean, we're, got, we're in sweep city. I mean, both the hockey and the NBA kind of have mirrored each other. So we'll see. Hopefully the Vegas Knights can put it on, uh, get themselves to the finals and, and you can continue this this incredible betting streak you're on. I mean, th- this wedding for you is going to be completely comped. I mean, it's going to be free. You're making so much money. What can I
3: say things are happening, Michael? No, but super excited for, <laughs> for, the, for the Golden Knights tonight. I did grab them tonight at a plus money price to complete the sweep against the Stars. Dallas is going to be without their captain, Jamie Benn, who's dealing with a suspension after the cross-check and game misconduct on the Golden Knights captain, Mark Stone, that game. And as you said, credit where credit is due for the Florida Panthers, who as an eight seed are have stamped their position in the Stanley Cup final, a 4-3 win yesterday for them over the Carolina Hurricanes. Another eight seed from South Florida is going to be in action coming up tonight, Michael, in a potential closeout Uh. game themselves. The Miami Heat up three games to one against the Boston Celtics tonight at TD Garden. Going to be a bit of an uphill battle. We saw the report from Sham Sharania reporting Gabe Vincent is listed as out tonight coming off of that ankle tweak. Charles Barkley said he thinks it's going to be a cakewalk for the Seas tonight. What are your expectations?
4: Well, I mean, the line is at eight. And I, when I first saw that, I'm like, holy heck. I mean, that's hard, right? You know, I mean, look, I, I think it's hard to beat a team on their home court three times in a row, which would have to be Boston. Would I mean, uh, the Miami would have to do that. Mm-hmm. Gabe Vincent, you know, again, now we got Tyler Heroes out. Oladu- Oladipo's out. And now Gabe Vincent's out. They're down three starters. I mean or essentially three really key components to their team, two starters. So, yeah, I'm a little bit with Charles, I think, and that line's reflective of that. But, you know, when you look at the number, you know, I mean, one thing Miami has always been able to do is rise to the challenge. Eight seemed like an awful lot, but I think the Vincent News skewed this in that direction.
3: Yeah, and we did see it start to tick up to eight and a half before that news came down, and then it actually came back down to the eight, which I found pretty interesting there. I took the plus eight points yesterday with Miami, and now I'm kind of wondering how I feel about it here. It feels like a game that the Celtics are poised to win in obviously a a winner go home spot but they are back at home any concerns though with how poorly the celtics have played at td garden they're 10 and 11 the last two postseasons at home which is the worst over a two postseason span in nba history for a team to play at home two and five their last seven at home in these playoffs what is it about td garden that hasn't played to their advantage here in the playoffs
4: well, I think a lot of it is they've played, they haven't played. They have played complete games, right? They haven't been able to finish a game off. Game one, you know, they're up by 11. You know, they don't finish that off. And then game two, you know, they've got an 11-point lead with nine minutes to go. they got a 12-point lead with five minutes to go, and they can't seem to close it out. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it is is that. And the other thing is I think, you know, one of the things that Boston has been better at, at least in the last game, is when they're the dog, when they're mm-hmm. the favorite, you know, they, they haven't really risen to the challenge. Now we saw them do that against Philadelphia, but remember that Philly game was close for a first half and then yeah. it got blown out in the second half. So uh you know, one thing about Boston, when they're when they're the lead dog, when they're kind of in this thing as 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 the favorite, they don't play or play 48 minutes the way they need to play. But this bench for Miami has got to be concerning, con- especially considering that they you know, they lose Gabe Vincent, who was a huge component of winning game three.
3: A couple things, though, that I think at least do play to the Heat staying competitive in this game, that there should be a little bit of regression to the mean from the three-point shooting on both sides that we saw last yeah. game. The uh, Celtics hit 18 three-pointers on 40% shooting from the perimeter Hard to do that back-to-back games, and the Heat on the flip side were 8 of 32. They turned the ball over 16 times. You think about that second half with Miami last game where they allow the Celtics to go on that 18-0 run. A number of turnovers there where it feels like they were just giving Boston anything they wanted. They're scoring in transition. They're getting the ball out. Lots of ball movement for Boston because of being able to capitalize on those turnovers. So you think at least some of those things should kind of get back to form here, but in terms of the series as a whole, Michael, we knew coming into this, that as far as on paper talent goes, the stats are certainly going to back the Boston Celtics in just about every facet that there is, especially when you see what they did in the regular season, they finally play to their capability last game, make adjustments in the second half, which we hadn't seen them do largely in this series could they make history and be that one in 151 to come all the way back from this and win a series?
4: Well, look, you know, let's just say, let's play it through. They win this one today if they can find a way to win this game. And, and their their focus is just one game, right? So mm-hmm. as a leader of the team, that's all you can do. But that puts all the pressure back on Miami to win at home because if you got to go back to Boston for a game seven, where does that sit with you and how does that work? <laughs> excuse me, Stormy, how does that work out? So I, I think it's a challenge. I really do. I mean, I think Miami isn't going to lay down tonight. I think everybody's going to be on the Celtics. It's going to be exactly like game two. Everybody assumes the Celtics are going to win. But I'm with you. I think that Miami turned the ball over too much. They didn't play their best game out of bio, only had 10 points. They didn't shoot well from the three-point line. There's a lot of ways to improve. But losing Vincent, losing his game, you know, it really – Debilitates their bench, and when Duncan Robinson doesn't shoot well, he's 0 for 4 in the three-point line. In the last game, one for six from one for six from the field. It's going to be a challenge. I mean, look, Miami is operating with, with under under really st- extreme conditions mm-hmm. in terms of the depth of their team.
3: No question about that. Uh, we'll see if the heart, grit, want to, and intensity from Jimmy Butler, their leader, and the coaching adjustments from a guy like Eric Spolstra can be enough for the Miami Heat in this series but uh, it certainly seems like things are going to play in the Celtics' favor tonight. We will have John Corrales of Boston Sports Journal and host of the Locked On Celtics podcast who will join us in just under 40 minutes here on the program. We'll also get plays for tonight's game and series futures with Will Hill, the Contributor, and, of course, professional handicapping... Happer, Mike Samich. Samich will join us in hour two. But Michael, since you've been off the last couple of days, and I I use the word off loosely because you're still appearing on programs all over the place, and the hustle never stops for you, my friend. But there have been a number of news items that I haven't got to talk to you about in the NFL, yeah. most notably somebody I know you really love and respect at the running back position in Austin Eckler. Staying with the Chargers in 2023, they put about $2 million worth of incentives in his contract for him to play this season. If you remember Eckler, of course, requested a trade. This seems like a a far difference from what we saw when he called it a worst case scenario for him to have to return to LA this year. But what was your first thought when you saw this and that Eckler is going to be back on the field for the chargers?
4: Well, I mean, they need him badly, right? I mean, he's kind of the glue to their team, and I think he is, you know, with 104 catches and his ability to run the ball, you know, I think he's certainly somebody that makes them a better offensive team. And as I've said many times, I'd rather pay him than Keenan Allen, even though Keenan Allen's a good player. Look, they, they Eckler took the best that he could. do. They're not going to trade him. He doesn't want to hold out. So he made the best of a bad situation, and he comes into camp, and I think, you know, that's going to say a lot for him. You know, I think next year really what I think he really needs to improve on is the fact that, you know, with his 107 catches that he had last year, he only averaged 6.7 a catch. And what's going to be interesting to see is my man Kellen Moore joystick. He's never been very good at making running backs be involved in the down the field passing game. I mean, when Zeke, before Tony Pollard showed up, when Zeke was there, they never could get this going. It was one of the biggest complaints I had about the Cowboy offense was why isn't Zeke more involved in their, in their passing game down the field? And Eckler typically through his career has averaged, has averaged more than he did last year. Last year he was at 6.7 yards catch. It's down from 9.2 a year ago. Like, to me, that's the key to backs that you're going to pay. If a back's getting six yards a catch, that's not a weapon. Back's getting 9.2, that's a weapon. I know it's only three yards, but it's significant. And I think they have to get there. His first three years in the league, Eckler, he averaged over 10 yards a catch. That's ideal.
3: And he's still doing the yards after catch, led the league in that category. So if you're able to get the ball just a little bit more downfield for him, set him up for good position, you know that he can get the yards afterwards. But um, Eckler, he can receive up to a million dollars for total yards and in incentives, up to 600000 for touchdowns in that tier's 10 from six, uh, 10 to 16 rather, and another 150 k for a Pro Bowl selection in 2023. I am glad they got to some agreement. And it feels like for Austin Eckler, if you can... You know, really live up to expectations, meet these incentives so you're getting paid this year, and then when you go into free agency next year, coming off a monster year, ideally find a landing spot for you where you can get paid what you want to be paid, right?
4: Yeah, no question. And look, you know, the best year he had was when Anthony Lim was the head coach in 19. You know, he was tremendous in 19. He had 92 catches and only 108 targets. He averaged 10.8 per catch. He averaged over four yards a carry. Shane Steichen was the offense coordinator along with Ken Wisenhunt. So, you know, they, they were able to get him the ball, but since then – his numbers, other than two years ago, other than last year, two, two years ago with Joe Lombardi's first season there, he wasn't able. They've got to get him the ball down the field because he is so good in the red zone. He's so good after the catch. He's hard to tackle in space. He is dynamic, and they've got to have to get him to be at that level.
3: Yeah, Joystick, use your weapons properly because I need, <laughs> I need somebody in fantasy to do big things for me, and he was that guy last year coming off an NFL best 18 touchdown season, but I need more. Uh, 15 to 1, our guy Austin Eckler is to win Offensive Player of the Year. I'm not sure I want to take that bet, though. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I I don't know if I want to take that one either. I mean, to be Offensive Player of the Year, you're betting on the Chargers really becoming a great team. Are you sure you want to go down that road, Stormy?
3: I I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Will you
4: want to go with Joystick and Brendan Staley? I'll go for it on every fourth down. Just put it in front of me. I mean, do you want to do that?
3: (laughs) Every time I think I like the Chargers, you do a good job of talking me out of it. So I'll have to (laughs) reevaluate here. We got to take a quick break, but plenty more NFL news and notes coming up next. Most notably, Brock Purdy. He going to be ready for week one, Michael? I hope so. I'd love to see it
5: Nicky Glazer Podcast.
1: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni on vSEN,
1: the sports betting network
3: download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM has all your favorite wagering options along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan told reporters this week that Brock Purdy is expected to start throwing in just about a week, which was awesome news. And also said, Michael, that he doesn't have any reason to think otherwise, that Purdy will be ready come week one of this NFL season. What do you think about that? Is that is that a rush on his timeline at all? How'd you feel?
4: Well, I mean, look, I I don't know. I'm not the doctor there and I'm sure that that he's proceeding along based on what the doctors are telling him. This is out of Kyle's hands essentially because once a player is injured and has an operation, you know, the medical staff really handles where they go and how they advance him based on what they see in the timeline that the doctors put in place. So, you know, that's the good news. I mean, if he's ahead of schedule, yeah. that's wonderful. And you know, if he's got power on the football, I think the big concern for Kyle to me as, as a as a coach, is what's his team going to look like opening day? We saw them last year go back to Chicago. I know it was raining, but they did not play well at all. I think yeah. they had eight completions in that game with Trey Lance at quarterback. So how does he get his team ready to play in the opener? Remember two years ago he went back to Detroit, you know, and had the big lead on Detroit, and then Detroit came storming back. You know, it, it, it really is uh, – a commentary on how do you get your team ready for September? I think that's really the most critical component. These OTA days kind of have that impact. It's funny, I read today that, you know, the Bengals have not had an OTA day. They, they haven't come together right. at all as a team. They don't want to do that, right? Well, the Bengals the last two seasons have been five and four, right? Like, they all talk about it like they got off the fast starts because they did this. They didn't. They got better as the season went on, and I think the reason they're doing this is to slowly build their team into winning, which for us as betters is it's something to look at in the opening game, right? Mm -hmm. Like we saw last year, you know, Cincinnati wasn't very good in the opening game. Green Bay, who takes the same approach, was a disaster. They're not a good opening day team. I think it's something really to look at when you're handicapping week one.
3: I agree with you there. The 49ers will open up their season in Pittsburgh against the Steelers. Do get – an easy one. I mean, relatively easy on paper, at least against the Los Angeles Rams week two, but it is still on the road. And then you've got prime time in a short week against the Giants. So an interesting start, I think, for San Francisco. We'll see if they can get out of the gates strong. Purdy coming off of the surgery in March. Trey Lance coming off of a surgery as well with his fractured ankle. Sam Darnold there in the wings as well. Um, both of them getting reps here at OTAs. Since Shanahan and uh, and John Lynch came to San Francisco in 2017. Michael, the 49ers have only had one season with a single starting quarterback, and it was of course 2019 when Jimmy Garoppolo stayed healthy throughout. So, that's the goal for San Francisco: is to have a, a healthy quarterback situation and not get snake bitten. Their season win total sitting at 10 and a half, favored in 15 of their 17 games this season. They're a 10 to one shot to win the Super Bowl, and because you mentioned that. Opening week game last week for the 49ers, Michael. It is a uh, a spot that hurts me emotionally, not only as a fan, <laughs> but also as somebody who picked the San Francisco 49ers to beat the Bears in Circus Survivor oh, last year. Survivor I Survivor got I had, you. Wow. I had two entries. Lost both of them week one. This is after oh. the year prior, mind you, where I made it all the way to week 10 and I lost on a Steelers-Lions tie. So that was fun for your girl. But then I'm out yeah. with both of my entries week one this past season. And I already must be a glutton for punishment because as soon as Derek Stevens and Mike Palmer were on Follow the Money earlier this morning and they were talking about the guarantee for Survivor being $8 million this year, I already know that I'm back in. I'm pulled back in
4: you're all the way back in yeah I mean I think survivors the hardest is eight million the total for survivor or are they putting eight million the guarantee for both contests
3: 14 million is the guarantee for both contests so but eight million, is for survivor
4: eight for so that, you know a lot of people love this survivor and you can go up to five tickets now on survivor correct you used to only have three right
3: I think they bumped it up um yeah. again so I'd have to ex- I, I want to make sure that I look up yeah so survivor oh, ten you
4: can have ten survivor
3: ten. you go up to 10 and for the circa million contest last year you could only have three they bumped that up to five so they are upping right. the ante here at circa for their contest this season
4: I, I just think survivor on paper looks really like it shouldn't be that hard but it is the most difficult contest <laughs> at all the the other one you have to be at 70 percent, you know and that's a hard thing to do because if you're at 58 percent, you're making money but 70% is a kick above and then but they have the quarter breakdown where you can make some money but Derek you know Derek has taken this up another level mm-hmm. it's it's an incredible fun contest To to take part in, I I don't do it, but I love watching it because I monitor during the season on Thursday the lines because it kind of gives you an indication of which direction the line goes from Friday and Saturday as we get more medical information. They freeze those lines on Thursday for the contest, kind of gives you a peek into the weekend.
3: You know, if they have this eight million as well for the contest, like I feel like we should have gotten some form of payment for our acting that we did in the commercials. <laughs> Elliot wants some to residuals. Show
4: it. <laughs> yeah, some residuals. Yeah, I, I mean, look, hey, Derek, I, I think. what's
5: the guarantee?
4: Hey, Derek, what's the guarantee? The <laughs> package is in route.
3: Derek, what's the guarantee?
4: Get ready for more millions. Guaranteed. Circa millions and circus survivor will be bigger than ever. Enter in Nevada. Play from anywhere. Go to circusports.com for more information.
3: Oh man. Killed it. He's the best. You nailed, you
4: nailed it, Michael. Well, You did it. How about Paulie Howard? Wasn't he in the background in the last scene? I mean, I thought that, that could have been an Al Pacino-like role there for Paulie Howard. I, wasn't he in the background there?
3: I like him um, last year when he was on the escalator coming down. It was smooth. And I mean, we know he was a background actor in Ocean's uh, Eleven, so he's... This is old yeah, hat I mean, he's, for, for yeah, him.
4: I'm sure he's got an Emmy there for that as well, or a Golden <laughs> Globe. I'm sure he does. And Mike Palm was brilliant as the bus driver. I mean, dispelling any notion that, that, you know, he can't take the money to where it needs to go. So it's awesome. Yeah. Look, Derek, is. this contest is incredible. Stadium swim's incredible. And it, it it makes the NFL even mm-hmm. more interesting as the year goes on, and you've got to be able to make sure that you plan this out. I know Amal. We talk to him every Thursday during the season how he planned out his year and mm-hmm. certain rules and regulations you got to implement within your own framework. It, it's not an easy contest, especially Survivor. S- Survivor on paper looks easy. Survivor doing it looks yeah. chal- is is very hard. And you got the other ones like. I'm going through week one, Stormy, and, and I'm really, you know, because you can't use your power rankings from week one as it relates. My numbers would be way off. So there's a lot of give and take in week one, and and you've got to really study, I think, for week one betting. You've got to study the coaches and how they prepare their team for the opening day game. Michael, we know Andy Reid's going to be ready.
3: Yeah, I'll ship one of these out to you because uh, I walked into the studio today and there's just a – this is as, about as long as my oh, legs. Oh, I need
4: one of those, Stormy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice if Visa could mail me one of those along with a T-shirt, yep. which I don't have, but that's okay.
3: <laughs> yes, we'll ship you out the schedule. Uh, they have the them here at Circa in the gift shop. There's one that's about like a paper size as well that I know I get every year to hang up on my wall, but great to lay out the whole season and get an idea. And I know when they were planning this season, one of the question marks they had was as it pertains to the Thursday night opportunity, flexing schedule, how that was going to work. But um, ultimately, not really going to have an issue because these games are just going to be moved to the Sunday. Um, And if you want to get your picks in that week, you're still going to know about 28 to 30 days in advance for when those games are going to be played. Some of the things that were approved at the NFL owners meeting, though, was that flexing of the Thursday night schedule for those last five weeks. Also, the adjustment to the fair catch rule for kickoffs and safeties in 2023, where the ball be put in play at the receiving team's 25-yard line. If there's a fair catch on a free kick, what did you make of some of the adjustments?
4: Well, I mean, they continue to want to carve away special teams. They do it ever so slightly. They changed the kickoff rule two years ago. You know, the wedge, two pe- three people can't come together. You know, you can't block below the wedge, all those things. And now they basically said, hey, if you put your hand up, you'll get the ball to 25. Okay, I mean, like, at some point, why don't we just, if you want to take it out of the game, just take it out of the game. You know, but, but to me, kickoff coverage is part of the game. It's really one of the ways you develop team toughness in your team. How do you make your team tougher? Be a great kickoff coverage team, you know? And so, like, it takes away the whole notion, the 13 seconds in Buffalo, right? You know, the 13 seconds where Buffalo messes up the end of the game. You know, if they fair catch it, you know, which, you know, they kicked it out, of, they kicked it through the end zone. But if they made them bring it back, as I thought they should, it would have taken time off the clock for Kansas City. Now you don't even have that issue anymore.
3: And I understand the league pushing as much as possible for player safety, but it, it seems like this isn't something that the players wanted either. They're organizing calls, trying to do whatever they could to not get this pass. But according to NFL Network's Ian Rapaport, it was something on Goodell's mind that he wouldn't let go. And this is what they're going to institute. It is just for one season. They're going to test it out and see if it's something that they want to move forward with down the line. We have to take a quick break here though, Michael, but... Um, Speaking of scheduling, the man who does it all, Will Hill. He's coming up next.
4: Lake.
1: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here's your host, Stormy Bonatoni on v the sports betting
5: network.
3: Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. Get the daily email recapping all the best bets from our show hosts and guests. You'll get unlimited access to the VEASAN.com slash picks page where you can sort picks by sport matchup, event date, and more. Plus, check out the top VEASAN experts leaderboard to view betting records, profit, and ROI. See which VEASAN expert has the hot hand. For VEASAN Pro picks, betting splits, power ratings, plus 24-7 video access. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. Sign up now, just $9.99 at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. You'll also find some winners from our guy, Will Hill contributor who joins us now on the Lombardi line at not the Will Hill on Twitter. He doled out a winner ahead of game four for the Boston Celtics to get the job done there and they did. He also threw in an 8-1 to one ticket for the Celtics to come all the way back in this series. What's going on, Will? How you doing and how you feeling about your futures ticket?
6: Uh, not good because I really to be honest, I can't stand the Celtics, but hey value <laughs> is value. I thought at 8-1. to one, I thought it was worth a shot and you know what? It goes from being 3-0 to, to very quickly now, and this is why I liked it. Very quickly now, Miami only has one chance to close this out at home, and if it can get to 3-2 tonight, all of a sudden the pressure is on Miami, who's been able to play the role of the underdog with Butler and you know their Cinderella. Nobody believes in them. Well, you're up three games to none. You got to get to the finals now, and they can get this to 3-2. That is going to be uh that is going to be some drama on Saturday night. I know home court hasn't meant a whole lot. In this series and and even you know dating back to last year between these two teams but uh i think we are uh, i think we are headed for some drama here uh, this weekend
4: yeah i i kind of agree i think all the pressure's on miami right now but look i mean miami's down two starters plus oladipo so i mean that's a hard thing for them to do how do they come back from that they're going to shoot better than they did the other night and certainly is boston going to shoot as well miami is is to me always good when they play in that underdog role But I'm with you. I think all the pressure's on Miami because it's going to come down to game six in Miami. Can Miami close that out? I think one of the reasons Vincent isn't even trying to go is because they know they probably, if they could get him for that game, it might help.
6: Totally with you. Totally with you. And I I really, I know this Miami team is tough. Uh, and again, home court hasn't been a lot. I'd be really surprised again. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but I'd be really surprised if Monday night game seven, after rallying back from three games to none, if Miami was able to, uh, to go into Boston and win a game seven, you can't have it come to that. So man, these, these series turned quickly. That was a, that was a gutty effort by Boston. I know everybody was killing them. I thought a little bit too much. So where I mean, you look back game one, they led by a dozen in the third quarter game two. They led by a dozen in the middle of the fourth quarter game three, they got blown out, but you know, they showed some toughness because Game 4 could have gotten away from them. I think it was 61-52 Miami, early third quarter, and you're thinking, you know what? This isn't going to happen. Miami's going to get the sweep, and now all of a sudden you're in some trouble maybe.
3: Yeah, and, and speaking to them getting crushed in the media, right? Maybe that embarrassment was a little bit of a wake-up call for them. They've looked rejuvenated since. They are a 7.5 to 8-point favorite across the board here tonight in the game back at TD Garden how, what's your approach to this one? Because this is a Celtics team that has been, I think, annoying is a good way to describe them when it comes to trying to back this squad this season, especially at home. I don't feel comfortable laying the number. Is there an alternate approach to, to backing Boston if you think they're going to win a night?
6: I agree. I think schizo, uh, schizophrenic is probably the best word because man, you just, just trust them to win by basically if you're laying eight, you trust them to win by nine or, you know, double digits. I don't know that I could do that. I do like the Boston team total over one eleven and a half. and a half. I think they made a concerted effort last game to push the pace run after makes run after misses run, run, run. And they're gradually getting their three point attempts up every game. Game one, they shot 29 then there was a 35 in there. Last game, they got up 45 threes. They hit, I think, 18 of them. They shot 40%. That's sort of their magic number. So run and get up a bunch of threes. You know, they scored 116 last time. Uh, Now you're at home. I think they can get over the 111 and a half. I'm with you. I don't trust them to lay points. Uh, They're such a strange team. You know, it's funny. I think Brian Windhorst uh, said it well. He said, this is a weird series because... You have an underdog in Miami that refuses to act like the underdog, and you have the favorite in Boston that refuses to act like the favorite. It's a really strange series, but I, I do think Boston wins tonight. I think Lombardi said it in the uh, in the open. Um, it, it's just going to be hard to beat Boston. Are they really going to beat Boston three straight times in Boston? I think Boston does get this game tonight.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that's hard. You know, it's a, it's it, put, it taxes you, and... It'll be interesting to see, but look, Miami has heart, but just listening to Spolstra talk after the game three, after game four, you kind of got the sense that Vincent was injured. And they're going to have to piece this together. It's going to take a hell of an effort. Robinson's going to have to play above like he did in game three, and Adebayo's going to have to play. Do you give either one of these teams a chance to beat Denver, Will?
6: Boston more so than Miami, because hey, it'll be interesting what the betting market, how they treat it if Boston does pull this off again. We're, we're a long way from that. But if they win four in a row, they'll turn around. They'd be hosting Denver in game one. Remember, they have home court, with which Denver, that you know, it's so important uh, to get them out of their building. I know Denver would have a lot more rest. Um, I think it would be sort of a toss-up series, at least according to the betting market. Boston and Denver, maybe even Boston a slight favorite, as crazy as that sounds. Denver uh, Miami, I think, would have a hard time. I think Miami is uh, 0-6, their last six Uh, against Denver, of course, you know, being in different conferences, they only play twice a year, but Denver has just uh, owned Miami. Miami has had no answer for Jokic and you look up and down the Miami roster. I don't, I don't see a great matchup for Jokic. Not that there is a great matchup for Jokic anywhere. I mean, Anthony Davis is as good as anyone and Jokic had his way in that series. So um, I think Denver would handle Miami. I think Denver Boston would probably be a a pretty good series.
3: The Nuggets certainly. Look pretty darn good here in the postseason, especially coming off that four-game sweep. Anything else, though, that you like tonight uh, in the prop market? I know you've been really successful in some of those areas.
6: Yes, Grant Williams, six and a half points to the over. I like this one. He didn't play in game one for uh, reasons that are unbeknownst to me. Ever since then, nine points, then nine points again, then 14 in game four. I know he gets under people's skin. He, he, he's an agitator. Um, he, he's you know sort of an instigator. He's got a little Dylan Brooks in him like that. He's talking trash to Butler. But to me, he's an important player for them. He spaces the floor. He gives them some shooting. You know, he gets a bunch of three-point attempts are enough where six and a half points to me looks a little light. Uh, these, six, the, these lineups with Boston, with Horford, and Rob Williams playing two bigs at the same time just have not been successful. They've been too slow. There's not enough shooting. So I, I think Grant Williams gives them some, some spacing, some shooting. To me, six and a half points looks a little light. So I like over there. And I like Butler over five and a half assists. I think with Gabe Vincent out, Butler's just going to play a lot of point guard. You can't put that many minutes on Lowry. Lowry's up there in age. You know, he, he's been good in small doses, but to expect Lowry at his age to play 38, 40 minutes, I think is unrealistic. So, Butler at five and a half assists, I think he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I'll go over Butler at five and a half assists.
4: And now let, let's shift to the NBA. I know you like some NFL. I know you like some props in the NFL. The uh, Gibbs from Detroit, the kind of surprise first rounder. I wrote about the fact that I thought he would be a good candidate. You got him at nine to one for rookie of the year.
6: You can, you can debate the value of the pick, the value of the position, but if you're picking a running back 12th, you know, you're going to use them a lot. And in that offense, that's an explosive offense. They score a lot of points. You know, they had a lot of change over in the running back, getting rid of Williams, getting rid of Swift. So he's going to get a lot of usage in an offense that scores a lot. To me, I mean, again, you can argue the value of the position or the pick. You can't argue the player. The guy's a hell of a player. I think he will take some of the sting out of the, the pick once you know fans see him on the field. And you can make the case, hey, you can get running backs in any round, and that's absolutely true. But to me, he's a hell of a player. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. He's going to be uh, heavily involved to me at nine to one. Um, is a good bet. He's going to be part of a, a big part of a really good offense. So I like Gibbs there, nine to one, rookie of the year. I think it's a good bet.
3: Bijan Robinson, your favorite, at three to one, followed by Bryce Young at plus four fifty um, in that market. I, I know that Michael has not been shy about the way that he feels specifically about Justin Fields, but interesting to see that you have placed an early bet on the Bears to have the worst record in the NFL. Why?
6: I did it last year and I got a split. They actually tied with the Texans for the worst record. So you win half of your uh, half of the payout. I think it was 10 to one down to five to one. So. Look, I just think Fields, I'm not a believer in his ability to throw the ball. I'm not uh, you know, a believer in his ability to stay on the field. He's taken 91 sacks in, in two years. That's 27 games, 91 sacks. He had 160 rushing attempts. He's not that big of a guy. So, look, if, if he gets hurt, which is very possible with the amount of hits he takes, then you got, I think it's P.J. Walker as the backup. To me, they still have plenty of issues on defense, skill positions, you know, uh, offensive line, you name it. I, I just, I don't understand all the enthusiasm, people thinking they're going to win the division. They're kind of a trendy pick to be a sleeper. I don't see it. If Fields gets hurt, and even if he doesn't, could this team win three or four games to be in the mix to uh, to have the worst pick? It's 25 to one. It's a long shot, but I, I think it's good value. I'm not I'm not a believer here in the Bears.
4: You know, you know uh, Stormy, I think it's interesting too because they're there only a two and a half point favorite against Green Bay. Now, I would be more inclined to, think, to take Green Bay, but knowing LaFleur's track record in opening games has not been very pretty, especially what they did last year. You know, they had to play, what, they played Dallas and and over in Jacksonville. Remember that game? I mean, because they had to move it. But they haven't been very good early in the season, so that, that worries me. But, like, I, I don't see where Chicago has improved to this level that people talk about their offseason as having this incredible offseason. I, I don't get it. They're horrible on defense.
6: I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, the, the, that was uh, the Saints a couple years ago in Jacksonville. Beat them by like 41 to 3 or something. I think the Saints were. Yeah, the Saints, that's so right. right. Yeah, that's I'm right. Totally with you. And we don't know about the coach. I'm not a believer in the coach, the quarterback. Uh, I think it's a long year for Chicago.
3: Well, appreciate your time. Thanks, buddy.
6: All right. Thanks. See you. Thanks for having me.
3: Will Hill, make sure you follow him at not the Will Hill. And while we do have um, Celtics reporter John Corrales that's coming up next, I did just want to make note that Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Raiders, did speak to media today, said Jimmy Garoppolo will not be participating in any of the OTA practices as he recovers from a surgery that he had in March after signing with the Raiders. We will talk in hour two after our Celtics conversation next about what that means and more for Vegas starting off the season.
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now
1: here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on vSEN, the sports betting network.
3: BetMGM, an authorized gaming partner of the NBA, hits the court with a special playoff parlay insurance offer. Place the same game parlay of four legs or more and get back a bonus bet up to $25 even if you miss a leg. Enjoy the playoffs like never before with BetMGM's daily promotions, boosted odds specials, and parlay selection features throughout the postseason. Log in now or sign up and opt in to get back a $25 bonus bet if one leg of your same game parlay falls short. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to please play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions 21 years of age or older to wager new and existing customer offer all promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements rewards issued as non withdrawable bonus bets bonus bets expire seven days from issuance please gamble responsibly gambling problem Call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in Mississippi Nevada and New York Stormy Bonantoni and Michael Lombardi with you as we welcome you back to the Lombardi line the Boston Celtics still alive in the Eastern Conference Final, looked rejuvenated after that 17-point win in Game 4. They head back to TD Garden tonight to help us break it all down. We welcome in writer for Boston Sports Journal and host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. Celtics reporter John Corrales joins us now. Welcome in, John. How are you today? Feeling good about the Celtics back at home?
5: Uh, well, considering their less than 500 road record, I wouldn't say the <laughs> home part is what I'm feeling good about, but I, it's it's I, I kind of... Don't mind where they are.
3: Yeah, two and five uh, at home. Their last seven in the postseason It is exactly your favorite thing in the world to hear. But like I said, feeling confident, I'm sure, coming off of the way that they won the last game on the road in Miami. They're an eight point favorite coming up tonight. Um, But I know your concern right now, just as somebody that covers the team, is that they get it done and continue to extend the series. What's your feel for tonight?
5: Yeah, you know, the feel is out the window with this team the way they've been playing recently. <laughs> um, I, I do feel like they they generally have responded in moments of adversity, and and this is an opportunity here. Gabe Vincent is out, and and he's been part of Miami's best defensive lineups, uh, and he's he had a game where he torched Boston, so that's another place where they can attack. They can attack Kyle Lowry if he's going to be the guy that comes into play, and. I do feel like there might be a little bit of obligation from the Celtics to, to perform at home, which they haven't been doing, like I said, uh, to get in there, take that crowd. I think the crowd's going to feel maybe a little bit more obligation to be, be hyped here. This is going to be a rowdy bunch, 8.30 in Boston on a Thursday night. is going to be a pretty fun crowd. So uh, I feel good about them coming in, fe- feeding off of that crowd and, and trying to get off to a hot start. I think a hot start's going to be critical to them winning this game
4: yeah I mean get that you know if they get that momentum going and and but Miami gets the sense that you know without Gabe Vincent and all the depth that they're losing uh you know they they maybe they're just going to be better off playing game six what what do you what's the sense from talking to people around the team that they feel like what made game four the game that the Celtics finally played four quarters
5: the, I think it starts with the three point shooting. So, game three was the, the worst mix of missing shots, trying to do too much to make up for it, getting caught up in the officiating. And the Celtics, when they get into that mode, it they, they really starts to fall apart quickly. And then against a team like Miami, which puts a ton of pressure on teams because of the way they play, the, the, how, how hard they play. That, that just was a perfect storm of just a horrible, horrible game for Boston. So what Boston did in game four, I think everybody recognizes, they played with more purpose, more. You, they played harder, and I hate to boil it down to that because it just lacks nuance in analysis, but for this team, that's what it boiled down to. They played harder on defense. They, they challenged the three-point shooters. They didn't let some of these three-point shooters get confidence early, and you saw it reflected in – Miami shooting less than 30% from three. You saw the defense turn into offense and, and Boston playing with more patience and generating better shots, which you saw in them shooting 40% from three. And in the end with this Boston team, it all comes down to the three point shooting. If you can do the little things that helps the Celtics three point shooting vastly outperform the other team's three point shooting. I know that's kind of a blanket in the NBA, but it's especially true for Boston. They will win those games.
3: Well, and you talk about playing harder, right? That's been the big compliment that we've given the Miami Heat the first three games in the series. It's just that they've seemed to play with more intensity and grit and want to, and Boston did come out with that different type of a mentality the last game to avoid getting swept. As far as the series as a whole, we all know the big number, right? Teams that are down three games to none in a series are, 100, are 0 and 150 tries to go on and win that set. The majority of those teams, though, weren't top seeds in their respective conference taking on an eighth seed in this spot either and having home court to their advantage, although we know home court is a little bit dicey, like you said earlier. <laughs> but when could the Celtics be that one in 151? Do you think if there was a team to do it, it would be this team?
5: Yeah, I've been saying that since they went down 0-3. There's a shred of this is such an aberration. When things don't make any sense, there has to be... Some correction there. And, and the thought was, if they could just get it back for a game, there's a, a path that's laid out. It doesn't make any sense for Boston to be playing this poorly. Now, yeah, you're right, Stormy. This is, this is Miami. This is their thing. They, they just go out there and, and play harder than everybody. They ride Jimmy Butler's confidence, and you got to go out there and beat them. That's why I didn't want them to play uh, Miami in the first round. So I thought I thought the Heat did the Celtics a favor by giving uh, Boston Atlanta in the first round. Now here you go. Here's your reward. you got to play Miami again. And you got to go out there and match that intensity. But Boston can do it because of the 150, there's somewhere around 15 that were the higher seed against the lower seed. And none of them have been this disparity. It hasn't been a two seed and an eight seed. So, yes, home, home game five, ride that to a win. That puts all the pressure on Miami to finish this out in six because no one wants to go back to Boston for a game seven. If, if the Celtics can come out strong and send a message here and send it back to Miami in convincing fashion, then this really turns. Then every media outlet talking about the heat. And can they, can they avoid collapsing? And, and that momentum is something that the Celtics can ride. This is a very strong confidence series. And if the confidence swings to Boston, it'll be hard for them to give it up.
4: Yeah, John, uh, I know we're talking all positive about Boston, but let's hypothetically say that Boston does what they've done at home in the past, which is play three quarters and then let the game get away from them. Do you think that Joe Mazzulla will – be able to coach this team again next year. I know he got the extension, but we all know what extensions are in pro sports. They're just an excuse to get you fired.
5: So do you think (laughs) you coach this team past next year? I I think so. I I just think I understand why everybody's saying this. I I also think it's much more destructive to bring in a fourth coach in four years for this team, Uh, especially if the option that they choose, whoever that fourth coach might be if they go that route is not somebody that's universally accepted by the team. Uh, they, the Celtics, have a very critical, critical decision to make. If they do decide to fire Joe Missoula, that next guy, it's gotta be right, or else the whole thing is gonna fall apart. Guys will start to leave, guys will get disenfranchised with the process, and, and they won't wanna stick around. And you don't wanna bring that out, you don't wanna bring a rebuild out sooner than, than you want, because the, the, this window should last for a few more years. So I think the more likely scenario, unless the entire team has lost faith in Missoula, which from my conversations, I think they're behind him. The more likely scenario is that they bring in more experience on the bench and and build out that assistant coaching staff to handle some of these situations, some former players on the staff that have seen these NBA situations before, uh, which is why I think the loss of Dayton, Damon Stoudemire hurts them in this situation. Get more of those type of guys on the staff for next season, and I think that can help.
3: It's good to hear that you get that sense that the team is behind him because I think from the outside looking in, those of us as viewers who are just casually watching these games and you see Marcus Smart taking charge of a huddle or Al Horford up here drawing up plays, like that looks like you maybe don't have the command that a head coach should have. So um, in game critical game moments, is it Joe Mazzulla or is it other people that are kind of making those decisions from what you understand?
5: No, it's Joe Missoula, it's those guys hopping into huddles. It's not uncommon. They did it last year with the Ime Udoka. When a timeout timeout is called, and in the playoffs, they're longer, Missoula and his staff are congregating out by the free throw line for a minute and a half or so. That gives Horford and Smart and those other guys a chance to kind of get in there and talk to the teammates. And then they turn around and sit and Missoula comes in. and You'll see in a lot of NBA huddles. Every once in a while, a player comes up with something, and the coach will be like, "Okay, yeah, I like that idea. You, you tell us what that idea is." So, I don't think that's a sign of anything. I think Joe Mazzulla is in charge.
3: John, thank you so much for taking some time with us today, thanks, and, and John. have fun watching the game tonight.
5: Enjoy it tonight, right, John. Having-
3: Good stuff from John Again, Celtics reporter. Check out the Locked On Celtics podcast. Doing great written work on a regular basis for Boston Sports Journal. We're gonna step aside. Kicking off hour two here on the Lombardi line, we'll get to that news about Jimmy Garoppolo and the Raiders, as well as no way, no doubt, you won't want to miss it.